Welcome to Making Noise, Making Moves, a podcast series created for the Noise Moves Youth Dance Festival 2021. Today we are speaking with dance educator Kathleen Isaac. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank you, Jeanette. Thank you um, for having me. Thanks so much for being with us today. Um, Kathleen, I would have wanted to give you a longer introduction and talk more about everything you've done, but I don't think I could quite do it justice. And I'd love to hear about it from you in terms of all the work that you've done in terms of education, um, the establishment of different programs um, before we actually go into what brought you into dance. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Well, my uh, last, the last job that I had was at Hunter College and I was the founding director of the Arnhold Graduate Dance Education Program. I started in 2011 and took in the first inaugural group of students in 2012 and have developed that program. Um, As of spring 2021, we will have had 142 certified teachers graduate from that program, uh, certified to teach in pre-K to 12 schools in New York State with reciprocity in 46 other states. Uh, Before that, I was uh, about for 30 years, I taught in pre-K to 12 settings all across New York City. I started in the South Bronx, but I also taught in Brooklyn, Queens, and um, Manhattan. I did not teach in Staten Island, but um, I I taught in all the other boroughs. And my first full-time teaching job was in the South Bronx. Uh, I learned a lot from my students there, and it quickly became very important for me to know that uh, your students are your best teachers. (laughs) Very true, very true. And years later, when I was teaching in at Hunter, teaching about Paulo Freire, it made me um, think back to those days when I would spend a lot of time in the community and sitting with people in their neighborhoods and basketball courts and getting to know the community. And I think that did make me a much better educator. So uh, I also worked at City Center as an administrator. I was the professional services director, which meant that I really planned professional services for uh, parochial public school teachers and just cultural organizations to come together and learn more about pedagogy. And I I planned them, but I also facilitated many of those workshops and interdisciplinary planning. Teams of teachers used to come to city center, uh, a math teacher with a, a gym teacher, an English language arts teacher and a dance teacher would come together as a team and plan a unit of study. So that was, that was probably, yeah, that was in the nineties. Okay. And um, I, I'm also an author and a curriculum developer. I've developed I developed the the Revelations curriculum. It's called Revelations: An Interdisciplinary Approach. It's still being done in its 21st year by the Alvin Ailey Company uh, Education Program. Uh, it's being done virtually now by Nasha Thomas Schmidt, wow. and she's the national uh, representative for that particular. Uh, curriculum, but uh, it's it's worked really well, uh, and I piloted it in PS seventy nine in Queens with okay. Sharon Buckman, who was then the executive director of Alvin Ailey. So yeah. that was really exciting. I developed curriculum before that for David Parsons. That was also mm-hmm. integrated with other subjects, and I wrote a, a pretty a very large pre K to twelve curriculum for the Joffrey Ballet called Read My Hips. Yes. And that was using award-winning books and pairing them with ballets that the Joffrey was doing in their mm-hmm. rep. Not, not, 
not all of them were ballets. For the third to fifth grade level, we chose the South African boot dance, which was in the Joffrey rep at the time. So, so anyway, those are some of the things I've done. Just the highlights, right? Not to Just mention right? <laughs> all the other things that you did in your spare time. And... A dancer too. I forgot about that. Well, this is what I'd love to hear about as well. How did you come into dance? What led you up? Because I have more questions for you on, on your road to the... Well, dance like most people, you know, you have a childhood story, something that brought you in from childhood. My, I was supposed to be a boy. And when I was born, my mom said, well, since I wasn't, I wasn't the Robert she was expecting. She had my name all picked out. I was going to be Robert. But uh, since I, 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 could, I wasn't Robert, uh, she decided, well, the Andrews sisters, that would be a good thing that now that she had three daughters, we could be a performing act. And my mother was very theatrical. So at a young age, we, we started, the three of us started singing and dancing together. And we sometimes I think about some of the songs we sang were probably inappropriate I, I used to sing Minnie the Mermaid and when I when I think about the lyrics now you know I forgot my troubles there among the bubbles she, but she was awfully good to me and I'm like oh I was singing that when I was four <laughs> and I was playing Minnie the Mermaid but anyway <laughs> um, as I got uh, into high school it became clear to me that I really wasn't able to get the training I wanted because I was living in the country. I grew up okay. in Attica, New York, which mm -hmm. is known for the prison and not too much else, a lot of farms. Yeah. And uh, there were some small dance studios, but I, so I went, I graduated early and I went to Brockport, which had a very renowned dance program at that time. And from there moved to, after three years, I graduated from Brockport. I was in a special program called the Alternate College, which allowed you to get into your major right away and graduate in three years. And then I moved to Los Angeles, thinking that I was gonna become a, a big dance star and instead needed to get work and took the first job basically in dance that I found, which was working as a disco dance instructor, but I would perform okay. in the night in the nightclubs at night and then to give out the cards for the studio during the day. Yeah. And, and um, that was really interesting. Uh, but then I took a job to kind of support that uh, as a media buyer for an advertising agency. Can uh, I give you great insight into a whole other world? Wilshire Boulevard, downtown Los Angeles. And um after about a year of that, I decided, although media buyers get paid very well, that just wasn't what I wanted to do because I wasn't moving. So um, I moved to New York and became a waitress and worked in a daycare and put myself, you know, paid for my dance classes, went to Clark Center. Um, and it wasn't until later that I found that most of the white people went to the new dance group and then most of the black people went to Clark Center. And I didn't know that. I just went, it, I got very good training. And anyway, that was where I took most of my classes, but I studied Horton and Graham and mm -hmm. Lamone, uh, jazz with Pepsi Bethel and Richard Levi. And, um, you know, Fred Benjamin was teaching there and I took, took ballet with Sheila Rohan. And then I went to Dance Theater of Harlem and and I started doing tap, but, and my first professional gig was I was making $300 a week. And that was really good actually in the early eighties with a company called Baker's Half Dozen Dance Theater. And we performed for children uh, in schools and uh, community centers and outdoors. That was an experience to be in Red Hook and doing Nikolai based modern dance yeah. uh, with, in Red Hook during the, the middle of the eighties. 
Um, it was something that people hadn't really seen before. And we were in our unitards with <laughs> doing, you know, children's, you know, dance for children, but yeah. kind of Nikolai based, very uh, abstract. Yeah. And um, sometimes it was a little scary uh, to feel like we were being very vulnerable, especially like you think, you know, it's something acceptable that we were doing, but then we were outdoors and yeah. crowd just didn't really. But, you know, I have to say, I never... There's only one time when I felt like they're not digging this too much. Like it's a little <laughs> odd for them, but then they got curious. And you yeah. know, we weren't threatening or anything like that. We were like a lot. I was remembering one piece we had bowling pins, and you know, we were like doing all these things with bowling pins. Like it was like a based on the circus. Yeah. And um, and I remember I had this really big lift, and I was up in the air, you know, like ba balancing on my, you know, he had me up on like balanced on my stomach. Yes. <laughs> you know, and I was, you know, outdoors in these like little rickety. <laughs> you were very free up there. You were very free. I was, uh, yes, and uh, I don't know. Element. So that was my first and uh, you know first professional experience. I danced <clears throat> with Elio Palmari, but. And I've been thinking a lot about Elio lately because of the whole Black Lives Matter movement, mm -hmm. thinking about how he really didn't, uh, he was a very rebellious uh, man and did not go for the pieces that were popular. He okay. was an activist and yep. I was not in the main company. We got to know him because I was working with the Errol Simpson Dance Company and I met him when I was at Dance Theater of Harlem, him being Errol Simpson. And um, we would go, Errol, I guess he, he was dancing with Elio's main company. So Elio gave us space and to rehearse with our company. But what happened is that Elio started setting work on us during the day uh, in the mornings, I, like really early in the morning. And he'd be up sewing costumes and doing all kinds of creative things. And we would come in and he would just start setting a piece. And I remember the last piece he set on us was called God Damn, and it was a blues piece. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was all like this stuff about just being disgusted with life and things that were going on in civil rights and social justice and just like a lot of like dropping and contracting and, you know, like a lot of, you know, that yeah. stuff. Um, but I also was really interested in tap. So I did a, a several years with Dance Ellington. That was the company that Mercedes Ellington formed when she she broke away from Gregory and Maurice Hines. They used to okay. have Jazz yep. Tap uh, USA. Yes. And um, she they you know Gregory started doing movies. Maurice went off to do like Atlantic City and Vegas, and she kept the company and called it Dance Ellington. So I did get to perform with her her grandfather her well her grandfather's orchestra but her father was running it at the time and then she would direct it sometimes uh that was a lovely wonderful experience and then there were some other things in between there but those were the main performing experiences and i think that that's really it's a very important for people to perform completely is it, it informs you so much Yes, and it mm -hmm. makes you a lot more excited. Mm -hmm. I did go to Hong Kong with George Faison and I did some Broadway stuff, Cats, Chorus Line, Sophisticated Ladies and 42nd Street. And then I was teaching in the South Bronx then and came right back and modified the work and set it on my middle schoolers and they were just completely into it. I got a fog machine for cats. And <laughs> Amazing, I'd say they loved it. 
They did. And like, yeah. they, were, like they were very tough kids. You know, some of them, not, and unfortunately, didn't make it. But a lot of some right. of them spent time in jail. But some of them are out now. And I'm friends with them on Facebook. And they still remember those days. Wonderful. And those are like a highlight of their life. Absolutely. <laughs> in the fog. In the fog. <laughs> <laughs> So now that you're, you're, you're talking about sending the work on these, on these kids, um, what was it then that brought you into teaching and, and developing all of this material for all of the companies that you did? And like, did you find that there was something missing in the landscape that you felt was needed? I didn't you just... teach. I'll tell, I admit that. I did not ever want to be a teacher because I had two parents and two step-parents who were all teachers and I just was going to be defiant. Okay. And I set out to be an artist, yeah. but I, as part of my master's thesis in the Gallatin program at NYU, I produced a tap show called Soul Sisters, S-O-L-E, for Jane Goldberg. And one of the, it, it featured uh, elder women, but young, young, like my age in the my tw- late twenties, and then elder women in their seventies <laughs> and eighties dancing tap and their yeah. stories. And one of the women that I met, Miriam Greaves Ali, who specialized in the South African boot dance, but she also tap danced and she danced with Pearl Primus. She was teaching full time in a public school and was certified. And she started talking to me one day during rehearsals and told me about health benefits and pension and sick days. Right, okay. And, And she helped me she helped me think about being a practical person and told me that she enjoyed what she did. Mm -hmm. And I took a different perspective and I started looking into being certified and I, I became certified, I think like within that year and started working first as a teaching artist, but then soon got my first job in the school where she was working. And um, we worked together for many years, but she became my mentor. And so I actually got into it against my will, but uh, it was a very practical conversation that I had with someone who was working, who was older than I was by by about, I'd say 20, 15, 20 years, who just talked very frankly about what I was doing and what I could be doing. And then once I started working in the South Bronx, I, I just... I, I was in denial because my mother was a master teacher and she, I was, I think I was in denial about my natural ability to carry forward like the legacy that I already had from the time, you know, Bloom's taxonomy came out the the year I was born and my mom was right before I was born in 58, but my mom was going to college right after that to finish her master, to get her master's so she could finish teaching. And she used to practice, you know, studying by reading Bloom's taxonomy. I know this is real. And um, so I grew up with that, but she was very much into gifted and talented education. And so I think that the child centered approach was something that she just modeled. I I saw that modeled as I was growing up, but it, um, yeah. So I was stopped being in denial. And then I started to become the teacher that I always was probably. And I, then you just deve- continue to develop. And I think one of another mentor I had, Sharon Dunn, who used to be the head of 
the arts for New York City Department of Education, used to say to me, you are not yet the teacher you will one day be. And I always think about that because you never stop learning mm -hmm. how to be a better teacher. And I always appreciated that thinking that you don't ever have to be there. You're never there. You're just arriving You're growing. all the time. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that's what you're saying as well, that you learn so much from your students and um, something there that you said earlier about wanting to be an artist and just having that drive and determination and just that you wanted to go out and set forth and you had that independence, which correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel that you've passed that on to your young dancers as well and that you want them to be independent you cultivated awareness in them. You want them to be able to make decisions in their work and have ownership of their work. So that very much stems from that. So you've taken that kind of natural inclination that you grew up knowing how to, you know, just through osmosis from your home environment of that teaching. So what, when a process or what tools did you give them or that you instill into them to enable them to be these young dancers who can make these choices who are not reliant on, on someone to tell them what to do? But I, I feel that you were probably doing this well before people were having these discussions. Right. I think I learned to be very humble, but to be very interested in the students. Uh, knowing your first, you have to you have to know yourself, and you have to be willing to accept who you are, and then you need to know your students. And then you have to decide where your strengths are to get, you know, separately and together and what you're interested in. And then you can begin to grow something because students aren't, especially if I go back to my very first experience, there was one class I had that I just didn't know how to get them interested. They weren't interested in modern dance, really. They weren't interested in uh, learning <clears throat> any kind of steps or routines or ballet or, um, and, and I was racking my brain trying to figure out, you know, half of them were sleepy, some of them weren't eating, some of them hardly came to school. Mm. And one day I just decided, because I was doing a lot of work with swing dance with Mercedes and her company, yeah. and I said, well, let me just do swing dance with them. Okay. And we'll put on a performance. And I don't know how, but it just was like the magic ticket to opening up their brains and the boys liked lifting the girls. The girls liked being lifted, but respectfully, because it was all very respectful and safe and, and funny. And we watched videos and we, we read his, the history about swing dance and um, how it kind of tied in. There was a lot of, um, there's a lot of tie in with swing in, in Harlem and, and yes. the Savoy ballroom and yeah. sort of gangs that were running mm -hmm. things because the police didn't have a lot of control back then but we went into a lot of that and it just appealed to their I and I also was looking at you know uh Costa and Calix um I don't want to go off topic too much here but the habits of mind okay. because I really believe that the habits of mind align themselves with that being an artist and getting yeah. to know students yeah. when I, if I think about um, you know, one of the habits of mind is finding humor. And I've, I put some humor into the piece. And I remember, like just having humor in there, but along with the technique. And some of these are students, as I said, are still like friends with me today. And they're in their 40s already, you know, which yes. makes me feel really old. But um, so I, I think connecting with the students 
but when when I look at those uh, habits of mind and I connect that with being an artist, mm-hmm. I think that it, it's, I want to do more research and I actually started doing research because I am in the doctoral program at Teachers College um, in dance education right now. Um, but, and I, so I started writing a paper about the connection and the alignment between the habits of mind and performing and why it's important in a dance education program to perform or yes, to be an active yeah. performer. Because if yes. we think about what the habits of mind are persisting, you have to persist in order to, to perform. You have yes. to keep persisting at, at your artistic goals, um, managing impulsivity. Like you can't just storm off the stage, and especially when you're teaching kids, whether it's kin- a kindergarten mm. child who's learning how to control their impulses or a high school kid that, you know, mm-hmm. is a diva and just walks off the stage because they can't handle somebody else's behavior. Listening to others and understanding and empathy. And, you know, empathy is so important and thinking flexible, thinking flexibly and thinking and thinking about our thinking, using metacognition, striving for accuracy and precision, mm-hmm. making sure that you're, if you're doing a piece, even if it's like a fourth grade and your goal is to work in unison, for instance, you have to strive for accuracy and precision. Of course. And so do the Rockettes. Yes. I mean, that's something that they work on. So, I mean, it's it's all levels. So um, so as an adult preparing, so I'm, I'm sort of, because my, my expertise spans many from pre-K all the way up through college, mm-hmm. but that's the beauty of is that I could see the importance of adults maintaining their professional careers as dancers or having some kind of creative artistic practice. And I mean, I won't mention all of them, but you know, just gathering data through all of your senses, creative imagining, creativity, imagination and innovation, sorry, creativity, imagination and innovation, responding with wonderment and awe, finding humor and thinking interdependently. And I think that last one, thinking interdependently, is really going to be so important. We don't know what the world is going to look like. We don't know what dance education is going to look like. We don't know what anything is going to look like. But we do know that the arts are important in creating human beings who can see life through an aesthetic lens. Because other things don't ask us to be, to look through to feel, to to behold the beauty in not just a work of art, but each other. Yep. I can look at your faces as I'm speaking with you and I can behold who you are and, and I I can love that about you, you know, and about myself that mm-hmm. I know that I'm connecting with other human beings about a topic that we love and that we care about. And I think that the idea of I've been reading and doing some some research and it's really in its beginning stages so I'm definitely not an expert but I'm very interested in um, contemplative pedagogy right yes. now and um, I'm trying to find my notes here I, I started adding more things and uh, yes Daniel Barbazat and Mirabai Bush um, and it's the the book that I, I it's it's and it's available on ebook in most uh, higher education libraries. It's it's called contemplative practices in higher education, but it's really applicable all the way through uh, to you know from from birth to death. I okay. Feel. I mean, so 
I know I'm going on and on. There's so no, it's wonderful. There's I so much to talk about, though. I know. I really um, feel like so much of this is going to be so important in the upcoming years as we come out of a pandemic. It's the the idea of the physical yeah. the physical body and and being kind and practicing love as bell hooks, you know, bell hooks and yes. hair, like now noddings and really pulling on all those educational theorists, you know, Vygotsky's theory of, uh, you know, the not more knowledgeable other in the zone of mm. development and having, you know, peers help each other. Yeah, we need to be there for each other in a different way. You mentioned here about creativity, imagination and innovation. I want to go back in time a little bit to when you started to introduce dance technology in a student-centered way. And we're talking <laughs> pre-COVID. <laughs> how, how, how far back, when was, when was it that you started to introduce technology into, into what you do? In about 2007. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it was around between 2005, 2006. But mm. I'll tell you exactly when the aha moment happened is that I wanted to, I wanted my students to enter an Irish dance contest. No way. Irish heritage. Oh my and word. Every year I had, I used to teach, uh, invite, I, I had a parent one year that came and she taught Irish dancing and she kept coming back and she was from Ireland and she would teach, I, you know, give the students a real version of Irish dancing. Mm -hmm. but I used to like to teach a couple of different versions of um, some dances. And I loved teaching the waves of Tori, which mm -hmm. uh, where the students get to go over and under. Yes. And um, so I, I needed to get the application in because I wanted to get a certificate of award for what the work that the students were doing. But I needed to submit evidence so I had the students learn it, perform it, and I videotaped it. And at that time, they had these flip cameras that yes. you could, and I had them, I, I was just getting them. They were really cool. You could hold on to them and they had a, a, U, a USB and you could put it right in your computer and upload the video and you could edit it. It was amazing. I wish they still had them. They were yeah. so handy. But I, so my students were, finishing up and I needed to get this done, but I couldn't do it fast enough. And one of my students just took the camera, put it in the computer, downloaded it, titled it, and said, where do you need to send this? And then sent it off to the committee. Yeah. And, and hold on, I'm gonna close my door. All of this got done. And I, yeah. that's when I said, I need to get on this technology stuff yeah. because these kids, it's going to be the future. Absolutely. They're going to be doing everything through technology. Mm -hmm. And so I started buying cameras, like whenever I had extra money and I got, I had about 10 cameras at one point and I had them in a basket and mm -hmm. I just started teaching the students how to document their work. And then I started Fabulous. teaching them how to use the video footage to give each other feedback. Yeah. And we smart boards became a thing. Like yes. I was there at the beginning when smart boards were installed into the classrooms and we started being able to show uh, with autistic students. What I found is something that they had done well. Mm -hmm. uh, an example, I used to do body puzzles where I would have one student get in a space and take a shape. And yes. then another student would connect into the puzzle, mm -hmm. and that, you know, and they, 
they if they were able to safely they could actually connect otherwise yes. i would have them just fill in the like positive and negative space kind of yes. a puzzle and i would videotape that because if if a, an, sometimes autistic children have trouble connecting and they don't like to touch and sometimes it's even painful to be touched mm -hmm. but when i what i found is that they could do this this is an example, the puzzle, and I could videotape it. If I could start class the following week, demonstrating, showing them on the smart board, the video that we had taken where they were successful, mm -hmm. it would lead to more success in the next lesson. Yes. And sometimes it did and sometimes it didn't. Sometimes they were in a state of mind where they couldn't even accept that they had been successful the week before. Okay. But um, I started using technology for all sorts of reasons, pedagogical reasons, social, emotional reasons, culturally responsive reasons for using it. I had uh, a parent who had learned the Chinese fan dance in Chinatown, and she came in and during lunchtimes, we started learning that. And she she and her sister made costumes, traditional costumes, yes. and we did this whole. So I was able to document. So it became a documentation process, but it was also more than that. It really validated things. It validated social emotional learning. It validated mm -hmm. culture. It validated the process. Mm -hmm. And then I started something called Hotspot, okay. where they were giving each other critical feedback. So we got into that critiquing, uh, like talking about Brenda Puma Kutchen has the four co cornerstones. Um, and one of them is critiquing work. Um, so um, I should go back to that. So, I mean, it's there's a crossover between standards and all this stuff, but um, I should state what that is. So Brenda Puma Cutchins' cornerstones are dancing and performing, yeah. choreographing, history, and analyzing and critiquing. So I guess I hit all those cornerstones also. Technology was a, a way to hit that, but it was also a way to address the standards, yes. making connections. I was connecting with the community can using parents to come in and teach certain things um yeah i yeah when you were there when 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 i had student teachers coming in i i remember uh telling the story about uh, a former student who i ran into on the street who was in high school but was doing hip-hop dancing and that person became a a, a regular once a week boys group leader and yeah. What uh, I remember that that was a um, another aha moment when I realized no matter how many years experience I had, he could walk into the room and and gain 100 percent respect mm -hmm. just by walking in because he was male and he was young and he knew cool dances okay. and the boys just wanted to learn. Yeah, and that's when I realized you have to be inter that interconnectedness it's so important. Yeah, that ability to what um, Piaget called decentration, decenter how important you are and how much you know, and be willing to accept that others know things that will make your environment, your learning environment, much richer. Richer is absolutely. And I guess that as well, as you were saying, people and no more than people learn in different ways, the use of video equipment there was able to facilitate that as well. So fast forward a few years later, and how then did, did all of that change for you as well, the use of technology? Because you would have been very comfortable using it. So you would have adapted to anything else that was coming on, and it just would have been second nature for you again to just be ahead of the curve. 
Right. Well, I think when I got to Hunter College, I started right away with a, an initiative that I called I Dance Ed. Mm-hmm. And it was all I was we were very fortunate that Jody Arnhold was the funder for the program and was able to provide funding for iPads for all of the students. Okay. And I created a template and um, a, a site called I Dance Ed where they would uh report on different apps and the effectiveness of the apps in, and, you know, apps change yes. and new apps are coming up like every couple of minutes, yes. you know, the new ones, some of them that used to work aren't popular anymore. And right now there's a lot of really popular apps like um, Nearpod and Flipgrid and Padlet. And <clears throat> there, there are a number of them. Unless, yes. Pentameter. Yeah. And now those didn't even exist when mm-hmm. I first started the program at Hunter, but having, the using your iPad, you can find so many new apps and just to encourage the students to explore. And that went along with Hunter College's conceptual framework, which included technology competency. So you have to be technologically competent at Hunter College in order to know, to go out and teach. And they measure that by including technology in in certain classes. And in my classes, I dance ed, being able to report how you were using that. So the way that I organized that was I created a website and the students had to report using a template where they had stars and they they rated the app and they described what it did and how how it worked and how it improved or enhanced their classroom teaching or their personal artistic That's incredible. So that was one way that I did it. And I guess, um, you know, I may, I documented many things. I documented a lot of my teaching. Um, I started working on a project because uh, I started thinking about how to inculcate joy, like how to have a pedagogy that where the main focus is the inculcation of joy. And I thought, well, if, if you start every class making a one minute dance. Okay, that oh, that's a lovely idea. And I, I thought it would, but I was very surprised at the outcome of my first time trying it. And mm-hmm. I found that a lot of students had more anxiety about making a one minute dance. Okay. And I thought it was going to bring joy because for me, I don't know, I did it myself and I was like, this is amazing. You can do something so simple. Like I was like, I could do this and it's been around. And I was like, and then. Uh, that's all, okay that I'll videotape that and then I was like but then I, I'm imagining being a third grader and there's and I have a whole classroom and then we split in three groups and group one does this and then the second group does it and we do a cannon and then everybody's spinning and then we spin it and I was like the the joy that bubbled out of that one little yes. thing that I just did and it was like how could anybody not feel joyful about this but I realized that Everybody has different, I guess, after being in teaching all day, having a stress yes. of being a teacher. You're coming to it from having, a different place. And then being in graduate school. Mm-hmm. And then someone just throws that at you and says, okay, we're going to just, I just want you to go. We're in, pet, we're in a methods class, methods of teaching, mm-hmm. but we're not going to talk about teaching right now. We're just going to make a dance. And I thought it was going to be easy. <laughs> they can act, it's like that freedom where they had this preconceived notion that they wanted it to be finished or polished or something. You just wanted them to let go and have that freedom. And they just, when you're just not I, there I, to I that space. 
I'm not done with that idea yet. I think it could happen. It's just maybe the way that, you know, I, because I was documenting everything. So they had to record it and upload it and it went on voice thread and then they gave themselves comments and then someone else gave them feedback. I mean, it was this whole uh, thing, but I ha- I, I'm not done with that yet. So that's kind of the beginning of, I've got a lot of research projects. <laughs> I look forward to hearing how that, how that uh, works. How, how that comes to fruition there and uh, you arrive at where where you want everyone to feel comfortable and just um to go for it and be okay with whatever it is they do is is very good yeah, well, I think that brings up something interesting though about teaching in general is that a lot of times people fear teachers or uh they think that they don't see themselves as being another human being in the same space. And I do think that there has to be a level of respect. So I'm not suggesting that students shouldn't respect their teachers, but I think there's sometimes this fear of letting go or being creative or pleasing the person who's in charge. And I don't know if that was a factor. I feel like I just didn't know there would be so much anxiety around making a one minute dance. I guess that you probably were, um, I would agree with you there about wanting to please you or, you know, people wanting to have time to think a process, but that, you know, it's probably that questioning, is this right or is this wrong? And rather than you're saying anything is good, you just want to be able to just release. Yeah. Just start from here. Start. Just do one thing, one minute of movement that comes from inside, doesn't matter yes. what it is. And I even gave them several prompts or told them they didn't need a prompt. <laughs> Just, yeah. <laughs> you try and give them the inspiration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, well, mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is, I, and I think also, I, I did a guest lecture last night and I, I said this to the students because I was laughing at myself, but I think I said, well, that's, if I can tell you anything about all the years I've done this, the key to longevity in this field and survival is being able to laugh at yourself or be just be able to accept that you're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. But out of, you know, mis- everyone says they, out of mistakes come more learning. That's it. And also right now during this period of great disruption, mm-hmm. yeah, that's many new innovation innovations and imaginations have come out of disruption absolutely i'm imagining that amazing things are going to happen and i'm i'm actually really excited to step back and let people that i've sort of mentored or known or heard about who are younger than i am i'm just delighted and i can't wait to see what they're gonna do Mm -hmm. and that's lovely no it is i think i think i think that's where we're all at right now is observing and watching and you pointed out um many many interesting points and the big one you know that you talked about now that relate or that you talked about earlier that relates now in the future is about how you know we've learned so much from this time and how the care of each other we're we're going to have a different approach when we're all get back in together and that all of these learnings that we we already have the way we teach the way we work together is going to evolve even more since the way we've learned to work distance from each other yeah and i really think that a lot of the xenophobia and some of the the, the racial tensions and mm. racial, you know, the anti-racist work that has to be done, active anti-racist work, yes. 
come from looking back at various practices in various cultures, the Asian culture, the African culture, the Middle Eastern culture, like all world cultures have ways of coping with great disruption. They have ways of meditation. They have balancing practices, classical dance forms. And I think the answers for every way of getting along in the world and getting that interconnectedness and respect is looking at the culture, looking at culture, looking at practices. And I think a lot of, we're gonna be borrowing a lot of pedagogy from Asian culture. And I think we're gonna be borrowing pedagogy, pedagogical practices from Africa where it mm -hmm. isn't about, you know, it's not always about, there's, you know, we, we always think about, oh, improvisation, it's started in Europe, you know, it, it didn't, it's been done in, in cultures. Throughout time. You know, throughout time, you know, yeah. African culture, South American culture, you know, drumming culture, it's, it's about improvisation. And we have to stop, you know, giving, giving European, you know, the European culture, all the credit for everything that ever was and start looking you know, people have to be willing to, to dig down and go into different cultures and, and honor, honor what has come. It's delightful. I mean, it's delightful to be able to celebrate that. And I think one of the things that, that I love the most about teaching at Hunter and in New York City public yeah. schools was the diversity. Diversity, absolutely. We learned so much, you know. Yes. I mean, everyone brings something acceptance. to the background. Yeah. Um, one last question for you. But if there is one thing that you would hope to instill in, your, in the dancers, the young people that you teach, and that you hope that they're carrying forward with them today, what is it? Hmm. That's a great question. And I don't know if I have a simple answer, but just being authentic mm -hmm. and encouraging everyone around them to be, to accept that authenticity mm -hmm. as you create, as you appreciate others' creations and to, to yes, to behold the beauty that is around us, not just in each other and each other's, the difference of our, our bodies and the mm -hmm. shape of our bodies and the color of our skin and the way we move, because not only do we have cultural differences in the way we move, but we also have different movement. I mean, those people who are into, you know, Laban movement analysis know that some of us are very bound and other people are very mm -hmm. fluid and, um, you know, that's being, being able to accept and embrace difference and, and allowing yourself, one, oneself and others mm -hmm. to be authentic to who they are in the world as movers and speakers and listeners. As people in society. Yeah. That's beautiful, Kathleen. Thank you so much. Carry it, oh, carry it forward, carry it forward from the, from the body, from the heart, through the body, Absolutely. the world. And add it into the world. The energy is, um, is there to be received. It's contagious. It is, it is. Um, thanks so much. It was wonderful talking with you today and learning from you and listening to you and everything that you've, you've done and you've, you've shared and that you're continuing to, uh, to work on as well. Well, thank you so much. I feel very honored to be part of your podcast. Thank you for listening today. Making Noise, Making Moves is part of the Noise Moves Youth Dance Festival for 2021.
Noise Moves is a part of Noise Dublin, the Youth Arts Programme at South Dublin County Arts Office. Festival is funded by the South Dublin County Council and the Arts Council of Ireland, with support from Dance Ireland and Creative Ireland, partnerships with Contact Studios and Music Generation Studio, and the festival is sponsored by Dance World. Follow us on social media at Noise Moves, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel to see our latest pieces of work.